Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. morning. How are you guys doing? You well? It is a blessing uh, to be with you guys. Um, so I pastor a church in Southern California. It's called Reliance Church. Uh, and um, uh, I'm married. Uh, my wife, Brenda, uh, if you went to the When She Leads conference uh, yesterday, ladies, you met my wife, Brenda, the better half of the, of the package. Um, and uh, we have uh, three children and uh, we have 10 grandchildren. Uh, that's your cue to say, oh, wow, you look too young to have 10 grandchildren. <laughs> Um, and it's not the years, it's the mileage, I'll just tell you that. But yeah, th- uh, 10 grandkids, and uh, we're going to be in John 21 today. You've opened your Bibles there. Uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in and get to work, all right? Father, thank you for this time together. Uh, Lord, as uh, we seek you, and um, we are um, <clears throat> encouraged, uh, God, that you say in uh, your word, and you have declared uh, your promise to send your Holy Spirit, uh, and you declare in your word that your spirit uh, leads us into all truth uh, and, in fact, empowers us to put feet on our faith and live out that truth. So that's our prayer today, that your spirit would illuminate your word to our hearts and our minds and our understanding, and that you would then equip us as we walk out these doors today, that we would put feet on our faith and live out uh, the truth of your word. And we pray together in Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. John chapter 21, beginning of verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up, and he dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. And yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time 
Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The big idea of our message today is fruitfulness of the Spirit-directed life. The fruitfulness of the Spirit-directed life. You guys know that there is a, there is, there is a battle within the human heart. Are we going to live a self-directed life or are we going to live a Spirit-directed <clears throat> life? And the self-directed life promises life, um, but, but it, it brings forth death. And it, it, and it doesn't deliver the fruitfulness that a, that a spirit-directed life lives. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I, uh, I have a biblical hero. Uh, it's Peter. He's, he's, he's in our text today. You know, you read through the Bible, maybe some of y'all, you know, the Apostle Paul could be your spiritual hero or, you know, wh- whatever it might be. For me, it's always Peter. And I'll tell you why. Because Peter's a mess. Peter's a mess. This guy is impulsive, you know, and, and the whole thing that's in view here in the backstory, last week, you know, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, and the work that he had come to do. And what, what you discover really quickly as you go through the, the scriptures, you discover that the disciples had an expectation of how Jesus was going to move and how he was going to work. And what you quickly discover is that Jesus works in ways that they weren't expecting, uh, that they would not have liked. Oftentimes we, we see the disciples, you know, conflicting with Jesus. And so the backdrop of our story today is that Peter, as typical Peter does, he has sort of bumbled his way through his faith. And at this particular moment in time, it's been said John chapter 21 maybe is a postscript to the, to the gospel message of Jesus, but more accurately what it is, is it's a baton pass is what we see here. There's this, there's this, this relay race that, that has taken place. And, uh, and Peter, he's kind of messed things up. Uh, and, and, you know, he's denied Jesus at this point uh, three times. And, and so going into this, there's sort of a shadow on Peter's life. Now we talk about <clears throat> um, baton pass. Uh, I'm reminded of Alex, Alice and Felix, um, in the Rio Olympics, maybe you remember this. She she was running for the the track team, the American <clears throat> track team, uh, women's track team, and uh, she dropped the baton uh, and disqualified him. It was a qualifying race for the gold medal, and she dropped the baton and. She got a do-over, fortunately, because they, they ruled that she had been interfered with, and so they were able to go and, and rerun the race, and uh, they ended up qualifying. In fact, ended up actually winning the gold medal. But she dropped the baton. She thought she'd blown it, and that's kind of Peter here uh, today, that John's gospel is Jesus passing the baton, so to speak, of the work that he's done. We're going to concentrate on three things in the outline of this text. We're going to look at a restless distraction, Uh, a restoration of duty, and a reorientation of devotion. These are all Jesus and his working in Peter's life and really equipping him to to be that that person that's going to bear more fruit. Uh, Again, that big idea, if you read the beginning of the book of Acts, it, it says, you know, Luke being the author of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, and he begins it by saying, in my former work, I told you about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That word began is the operative word because it implies that Jesus' work continues. 
And indeed, it does continue. Who's it continue through? It continues through you and through me because we were recipients of that baton of faith, right? And so this is the idea is that Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're in danger of dropping the baton, and I want you to take this and to go on and move in your faith. And that's our prayer today for ourselves as we study this, to go, Lord, how can I move on in my faith? And what lessons can you teach me in that? So um, it, we begin in our text, it says, after these things. And what this is talking about is not just the, all of the things of the gospel, all of the things that Jesus came to do, uh, that he began to do and to teach, but in particular, John chapter 20, right? And what happens in John chapter 20 is that Jesus is resurrected, manifests himself to his disciples over an eight-day period following his resurrection. This is where Mike was talking about how, you know, the, he breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and this is that advanced work. And so it's after these things now that Jesus manifests himself to the disciples uh, here at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret, uh, we would also know it as the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and this is where the disciples are. Now, the reason they were at the Sea of Galilee um, is because Jesus had commanded them to go there. In one of his appearings after his resurrection, Matthew 28, verse 10, he told the women who had come to the tomb, uh, he said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Right? And indeed, he's, he's already you know, appeared to them there in the upper room. So they, they've seen him. And so now uh, he's appearing to them at the Sea of Galilee as he's commanded them uh, to go. Now, the Sea of Galilee it's about 75 miles from Jerusalem. If you've been to, to, to uh, Israel, uh, you know, in, in your mind's eye, you can see it. Uh, 75 miles. They're not going to take a cab there. They're not going to get an Uber to go to the Sea of Galilee. They have to, they have to walk that distance. It's a great distance, right? And uh, I'm reminded of the story of the kid asking his dad, you know, give me a car, dad, give me a car. And, and his dad's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a car. Uh, and he said, please, dad, what do I got to do to get, to, come on, please. And his dad says, well, look, for starters, you could get a haircut. And, and he's like, well, Jesus had long hair. He's like, yeah, and he walked everywhere he went too, you know? <laughs> so, and so, you know, they got a, the 75, you know, miles, they, they're not going to get there overnight. This is, this is probably maybe as much as a couple of weeks after Jesus' resurrection that this is, this is all going down. Now, you would, you would think that <clears throat> having appeared to his disciples, having conquered Satan, sin, and death, risen from the grave, uh, having given them, you know, a commandment to, to, to go to the, to the Sea of Galilee, that, hey, you know, go, go to the Galilee, this is where I'm going to meet you. You think that there would be some measure of, of not only confidence within the disciples, but just, just a faithful, you know, expectation of, hey, what he says he's going to do kind of thing. You'd think that, and it would appear, maybe you're wrong, um, because what we see here with, with uh, Peter, and it's our first point if you're taking notes, is this restless distraction. You see there in verse 3, uh, well, back it up. In verse 1, it says that Jesus showed himself. Says, use the word showed twice in the text. And, and that's kind of key to understanding this whole text is understand this manifestation of Jesus showing himself. That word showed, it means to shine forth. 
And the idea is that Jesus is shining forth to the disciples, revealing himself to the disciples in very specific ways. And that verb showed, uh, again, in the Greek, it's written in the active sense. The idea here is that Jesus is now shining forth, revealing himself to the disciples um, to accomplish a very specific purpose. And that purpose is to reorient Peter's faith to interrupt his temptation, maybe to derail uh, from, from his faith. Now, why do I say that? Well, verse three, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And there are many commentators who, you know, evaluating this text, they say, look, that's not as innocent as it might appear. You know, for you and me, we're like, hey, I'm going to go fishing. You want to come fishing with me? You know, uh, I encountered a friend just recently. We were talking and, uh, and I delighted to show him a picture of a 250-pound bluefin that me and my buddies had caught. And I got video of us landing this thing. And, and it's like, it's incredible, right? It, what, that was an innocent fishing trip. But, but when Peter says, I'm going fishing, in the Greek, it's, it's a hupago. Uh, so, of course, we all know what that means. But at any rate, no. Um, <clears throat> it means literally to withdraw, to go away, and to depart. And what many see in this is that for Peter, this represents a decision. That what Peter's doing here, it's all up in his head that he's denied the Lord, that he's failed the Lord. And so even though Jesus has conquered Satan's sin and death and risen from the grave, and even though he said, hey, go meet me, you know, at the Galilee, go, go meet me there. Uh, and, and there's this implied, I got more work to do through you guys kind of thing. In Peter's mind, he's thinking that applies to everybody else, but I'm a loser. I've blown it. You know, really God can't move and work. There's not, there's not this work that he can do in me. And so when he says, I'm going fishing, withdraw, go away, depart, it's more about I'm tapping out of ministry. That's kind of what's going on here. Um, if so, this is a problem. Because if you think about Peter's life and his call to ministry, it happened also at the Sea of Galilee. It happened at this very place where something very profound happened. You, you know the story back in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus. He's teaching around the Galilee region and tells us all the crowds are flocking in. They want to see him. They're, they're, they're pressing and they want to hear what he has to say. And, and it says there that Jesus saw these two boats that were at the shore and the fishermen had gone away from him and they're washing their nets. Backstory is, it's now the morning. Fishermen work at night at the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and so this would have been after the workday was over. These guys are washing their nets. They're cleaned up all their gear. They're getting ready to go home, have some breakfast, go to bed because they've been working all night. This, back, this is the backdrop when Jesus sees the boats. It says he gets into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon Peter. And he asked Peter, put out a little bit from the shore. Now, I put myself in Peter's shoes. I'm thinking, look, the only thing worse than working all night is being a fisherman and working all night and catching nothing, because that's what Luke chapter 5 says. They worked all night and they caught nothing. By the way, our text here says the same thing. They, worked, they fished all night, they caught nothing. So apparently Peter was a pretty lousy fisherman. But it, at any rate, 
the, the only thing worse for fishermen is, work, you know, not just working all night, but I caught nothing. Now I'm cleaning up all my gear. Now I look back. Who's this guy getting in my boat? Like, I just cleaned my boat. Now you're getting in it. And then Jesus is saying, put out a little bit from the shore. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, more work? So, so Peter gets in the boat. He accommodates Jesus. He puts out from the shore. Jesus teaches the multitudes. And then Jesus turned his attention to Peter. And he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Again, problematic, because fishermen, they don't catch fish at the Sea of Galilee during the daytime. The fish are caught at night. And they don't catch fish in the deep water. They catch fish in the shallow water. And so Peter politely says to Jesus, look, we've, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. Translation, carpenter, I'm the fisherman and I'll tell you how you catch fish. And Jesus might say, well, no, you won't because you didn't catch any. Um, but at any rate, so he launches out. He goes, nevertheless, at your word, I, you know, I'll do that. And Jesus had said, let down your nets, plural. Peter throws out one net, right? And just sort of, oh, yeah, I doubt it, but okay. The story goes on to say that the net is filled to the point to where they're like, signaling their partners in the other boat, come join us. And they fill both the boats so full that they begin to sink. Peter's response is to fall down at Jesus' feet and say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. Why? Because I doubted and here you showed up and clearly this is a miracle, I'm not worthy, right? And what does Jesus say to Peter at that point? He says, from now on, you're gonna catch men. It was Peter's call into ministry. They got to shore, they forsook all, Matthew 5, 11, and they followed after Jesus. That was Peter's call into ministry. Well, here we are, back at the Sea of Galilee. Peter's got this attitude, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, again. And, and he's at risk of, of forsaking his calling. The Lord wants to have his lambs well-fed and cared for. God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, promised Israel, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and with understanding. This hasn't changed. And so Jesus here, he, his desire is, you know, Peter's in a bad place and I've got to restore Peter. Now, we can only speculate what's going on with Peter. Why on earth is, is he talking and thinking about tapping out of ministry? Did, did Jesus take too long? How many of you have discovered that Jesus typically moves slower than you would like in your life? Right? God speaks to you and you're like, show up already. Like, what do you, have you lost my number? Do you see? Do you care? You know, kind of thing. And, and so maybe it's that. Maybe God just took too long. And now Peter's going, what? what on earth? Maybe I didn't hear from God. Maybe the doubts are coming in. As well, what, what else could it be? It could be that, you know, this is a situation where, no, I, I just, I, I blew it. I'm hearing the voice of condemnation. I've denied the Lord. And, 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 and you know, and whatever that, that, that may entail. I just, whatever. You can work, you can use other people, but, but you really can't use me. Whatever it is, there's something going on here with Peter. And the danger here is that his decision impacts other people. See, we are all leaders in some capacity. Every one of you here is a leader 
in some capacity. And you influence other people. I'm reminded of that, that poem uh, you're writing the gospel, chapter each day, by the things that you do and by the words that you say. And people read what you write, whether it's faithless or true. Hey, what's the gospel according to you? And so for Peter here, his actions, well, they lead other people astray. What are the, the disciples? He goes, I'm going fishing, I'm departing, giving up on this ministry stuff. And all the other disciples, they're like, hey, we're going to go with you too. Jesus prayed all night. Pick these guys, right? We need to ask this question, how am I leading others? See, because God has a calling on every single one of our lives. He may not have called you to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to be a teacher, but he's called you in some capacity. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 9 goes on to say that, that we are his workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that, he, that he's foreordained, that we should walk in them. Every single one of you here today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has uniquely designed you, he's uniquely created you, and he's called you to take the baton of faith in some way, manner, shape, or form. And so this is what we, we, we have to take a walk with. Now, these guys, I'm going back to fishing, they work all night, they catch nothing. Why? Well, because Jesus hasn't called them to that. This is a work of their flesh. And in fact, I would submit to you that this failure is part of Jesus's manifestation of himself. How so? I like what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, Jesus manifested himself as entering into the disciples' immediate experience. Their immediate experience of failure, their immediate experience of being beaten, their uh, immediate experience of a new discontent that had not removed their, re their restlessness. And, and so Morgan says, there Jesus revealed his power on that lower level of activity. If it was dead fish that they were after, he could help them there. And so, hey, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and they bring up this incredible catch. Now, you got to know something's triggering in their minds the minute that happens, right? I mean, the text says, John's like, that's Jesus. Like, uh, you know, I remember this. Do you remember when God called us into ministry, Peter? Because John was there, right? And, and so it's like, oh, man, that, that, that's what's going down. Now, they catch, the text tells us 153 fish. What's significant about the number 153? People have been asking this for 2,000 years, right? I've got the answer for you today. St. Augustine in the 4th century, he's a 4th century theologian, he, he hypothesized this. He said that 10 is the number denoting fullness uh, of entirety and of totality. He said seven's the number of completion. So if you take the number 10, number seven, you put them together, you get 17. And then if you add up all of the numbers leading up to 17, so one plus two, uh, two plus, it, you know, one plus two is three, three, you know, uh, plus three is six and so on. And you go all the way up. He says, ultimately, you're going to get to the number 153 and it's all about the fullness of, 
That's all malarkey. Like, here's the deal. Here's the answer. We don't know why it's the, it, the Bible goes to tell us it's 150. Maybe it's just a, a statement of fact. They caught 153 fish. But we do know the significance of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm passing the baton to you. And you guys, you need not to doubt. You need not to fear. You need not to go back to what it was you were doing before I called you. No, I've called you for a specific reason. I've called you for a specific purpose. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that's uh, a restoration of duty. It's what Jesus wants to restore Peter to. And, uh, and we see this in verses 15 through 19, which we'll, we'll read here. Uh, but, but read it with, through, the, through the lens, through the, the grid of Peter having denied the Lord three times. And so what's happening here is Jesus is reinstating Peter. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? That word love that Jesus words uses, um, it's the Greek word agape. You can't be a Christian for five minutes and not have heard the word agape. It means unconditional love, right? Not dependent on any outside source. It's a decision. It's an act of the will. Do you love me unconditionally, right? That's what Jesus is asking him. Uh, so do, he says, do you love me more than these? What's the these that he's talking about? Could be, could be one of a couple of things. Could be these fish. Hey, I'm going back to fishing. They more important than me. You love me more than these 153 fish? Could be that. Could be in light of what preceded Peter's denial when he denied the Lord three times. Some proud boasting on his part, right? He basically said, fronting off all the other disciples, I'll paraphrase, he basically said, even if all these losers deny you, Lord, I'm, I ain't never denying you. I'm never going to leave you, you know? And, uh, and then what did he promptly do? Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. And he did, right? So Jesus might be saying, do you love me more than these losers, as you, you know, would have thought of them? Now, having denied me, you want to still tell me again you love me more than these? Peter's response. He said to him, the last part of verse 15, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the Greek word that he uses there is not agape. Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Peter says, hey, you know that I love you affectionately. It's, 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 if compared to agape, it would be a, a lesser form of love, if I could say it that way. It's a, hey, I love you like a brother. I have a deep and emotional affection for you. But it's not, do you love me unconditionally? Peter does not answer, I love you unconditionally. Why? Because Peter's had a good look in the mirror. He's, he, he, he affirmed, even though everybody else forsakes you, I'll never forsake you. And then all of a sudden, hey, Peter, here's the ABCs of you. You actually, you're flawed. And so he says, hey, Lord, you know that I love you affectionately. And look at what the Lord says. He says, get out of here. You're, I'm done with you. No, the Lord says, feed my lambs. Bro, you are not disqualified. We, we both know you're a loser, Peter. That's, that's, that's done. That we, I get it. I'm going to use you anyway. Verse 16, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? 
And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you with deep affection. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? You, you love me affectionately then, huh? And it says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Why? Because he's like, I wish it was more. I wish I had more capacity, but you just put your finger right on the, the, right on the pulse of who I am, where I am, what I am, and, and, you know, my limitations and all. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. I love you affectionately. That's, you know me. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He's denied him three times. Now he's reinstating him three times. Hey, my calling on your life has not changed Peter. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God, Romans chapter eight tells us. And so verse 18, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. What's he mean by that? Well, verse 19 tells us this, Jesus spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Well, that leads us to our third point, which is a reoriented devotion. Jesus' word to Peter is, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you warts and all. You follow me. But now we're going to see that there's another problem that rears its head, and it's this idea of a toxic, jealous comparison. Uh, Jesus has told him, follow me. That's what you need to do. But, verse 20, then Peter, turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? That's a very long-winded way for John to say it was him. Peter looks back and he sees John. Now, I don't know if you picked this up in the scriptures. Peter and John, they, they had kind of a bit of a contention, like a, a rivalry. There's this competition with him. John delights to say that he beat Peter to the tomb, you know, when they're, when they're running there and all that. There was, you know, some kind of a contention there. And Peter sees John following. And verse 21 says, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? What about this guy? Why, you know, you just told me all the ways that I'm going to suffer for you. I want to know he's going to suffer too. What's going to happen to him? And the Lord says to him, verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come... What is that to you? You follow me. In other words, the Lord's saying, look, it ain't none of your business what I'm doing with John. That, that has nothing to do with you. What if I just settled the matter? You follow me. See, here's the thing. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... What is the great cloud of witnesses? It's, it's, it's a multitude of people who each had their own race to run. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Here it is. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You don't compare yourself to anybody else. You focus on Jesus. Then, you know, when the author of Hebrews says we got to run the race that's marked out for us, that, that phrase marked out in the Greek, it literally means appointed and it means destined. Here's the idea. Every single one of us has a race that's appointed and prescribed by Jesus, and it's unique to every single one of us. For me, back in 1992, my wife and I were baby Christians and we, we lived in a small community, and there wasn't a Whitefields church there, you know, a Bible-teaching, healthy church. There, there, were a, there was a few churches, but nobody was teaching the Bible. And so we, we started looking for, for this. We couldn't find it. So we did something radical. We decided to start a church in our living room. And, and it was radical because I was a baby Christian. If you would have told me that Habunkus was a book of the Bible, I would have been looking for the book of Habunkus. I'm not kidding. But, but, but you know, at least I, I was, you know, broken clocks right twice a day. At least I knew that I needed a Bible teaching church. So I started one. And, you know, we put our name on the pastor's wanted list down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We want a pastor. God's grace, he gave us a pastor. Ultimately, over time, I would become, you know, an executive pastor when, when I got smart enough to know that Habunkus is not a book of the Bible um, and grow in my faith. But, but God did something crazy. He pulled a rabbit out of a hat. There were six people in my living room when we started that little church in a town that had 8,000 people. And in 15 years' time, he grew that church to like 6,500 people. It just blew up, right? And people are getting radically saved and all this radical stuff was happening. And then out of a clear blue sky, God spoke to me and he said, I'm calling you out to a new venture of faith. And, and he, you know, he told me, lay down your power, lay down your position, lay down your paycheck, follow me on this venture of faith. And I got a little bit Peter-ish in that where I'm looking at all the guys that get to stay and I'm like, well, what about them? Why are you calling me to go out? And, and God spoke to me in that moment. And, and he said this to me, the, the difference, this isn't a quote unique to me. This is, uh, somebody else has said this. I can't remember who said it. Otherwise, I'd give them the, the attribution for it. But he said, the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the painful experience that you refuse to endure. Wow. In other words, what I want to do with all them ain't none of your business. You follow me. See, your appointed path, my appointed path, Pastor Nick's appointed path, they're all going to be different. You know, you'll you have the Jim Elliots of the faith who, who are missionaries appointed to martyrdom. You've got the Billy Grahams of the faith who are, you know, evangelists appointed to worldwide ministry. And then you've got everywhere in between who, you know, and my question for you, what's God appointed for you? Because make no mistake about it, we are all recipients of that baton. And there's no end of things that are going to interfere, cut in on you, get you to doubt yourself and all, and, and, and metaphorically speaking in your life to go, I'm going fishing. And the Lord would remind you, I've called you to something bigger than that. I've called you something bigger. You may not be called to be a pastor. You may not be called to be an evangelist. You may not be called to be a missionary, but you're called to be a missionary somewhere. Somebody once said to me, I'm, I'm a missionary. I go, oh, that's cool. What do you, yeah, she's in my church. I'm a missionary. Oh, where? Target. 
<laughs> She's a checker. She worked at Target. She just lived a missional life. I want to close with three questions as we get ready in our hearts to partake of communion. Maybe you can write these down, take a walk with these questions this week. Number one, ask yourself this. What race has God marked out for me? And how am I tempted to toxic, jealous comparison? Where, where you might wrestle with your faith. I mean, God's, God's called me to this, but, but boy, I'm looking at the way other people are running their race. And I'm envious of other people's race and maybe a little upset with the path that I've been called uh, to run. Second question, what painful experience has God marked out for me? Past or present, how did I respond or how am I responding? The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the painful experience that you refuse to endure. Third question, what tempts me to restless distraction? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is God taking too long in your life to do, you know, in your estimation, you're taking too long, you're overdue. Have you lost my number? Have you lost my address? Do you, you forget about me? Do you care about me? What, what is it that's tempting you to restless distraction? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for this example in the Gospel of John, one of your several appearances after your resurrection, and in this case, a reinstatement and reorientation of Peter's heart to a life of service and following after you. We do understand, Lord, that we each have an appointed race to run, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith, and that we might run with endurance the race that you have marked out for us. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.